Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Right, uh, this is not exactly a sermon, uh, even though it is showing up on the Resurrection Community Church sermon podcast. Uh, you might call this a sermonic chat. Uh, this past Sunday, I was scheduled to preach on Genesis uh, chapter 19, uh, but I was not able to come. I was sick, and so uh, Brian Fowler preached on Jude instead, uh, but we're going to continue uh, with our regular series in Genesis. Alejandro will be preaching this coming Sunday, March 12th, on uh, Genesis chapter 20, and so I decided to uh, record some thoughts on Genesis chapter 19. Uh, in a in the form of a sermonic chat. Uh, so uh, if you're listening to this, uh, I hope it's an encouragement to you. I hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, it's not, it'll be a little bit different perhaps because I'm just uh, sitting here in my house talking to the computer rather than um, preaching to the congregation on Sunday morning. Um, but with that said, it's, it's Genesis chapter 19. And so uh, for those who want to continue, I feel like they're following along in the, the flow of Genesis, uh, I hope you uh, are encouraged by it. So uh, in Genesis 19, this picks up from uh, continuing the story of Abram, uh, Abraham. And we uh, the last time I preached, uh, 10 days ago, Sunday, uh, March, or this last Sunday of February, um, we talked about Genesis 18, um, when God came to visit Abraham. And the significance of that was really the relationship that God demonstrates with his people by his personal visit to Abraham. But in that story, he also told Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom. And we had this strange episode where Abraham had bargained with God uh, on behalf of Sodom, asking him if he might spare the city if he could find just 10 righteous people there. Uh, he had started out at 50, and he, he worked him down, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Uh, and finally, God said, yes, if I can find 10 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. And so then we pick up with Genesis chapter 19. What happens when the angels come down to Sodom to see if there are 10 righteous people in Sodom or if, in fact, it is just as wicked as they have been told. So I'm going to go ahead and read now from Genesis chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. 
But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, da sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people have beca has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the, the angels urged Lot, saying, up. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of the furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him so that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of Mo the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, that as I speak briefly on this, uh, as for all those who are listening to it, I pray that you would, that it would be your word, uh, that you would, uh, speak by the power of your spirit, that it may be an encouragement, uh, that we may see your grace, uh, your grace upon grace here. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1820, uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, at that time the former U.S. president, uh, he completed, he created a book called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. 
And I say he com he created a book uh, because he did not write this book. He created it uh, from the Bible uh, by literally cutting and pasting. He used a razor and glue to cut out sections from the Bible and paste them together uh, to create a new book called The Life of Morals of Jesus of Nazareth, better known as the Jefferson Bible. Uh, and so this was his putting together uh, the teaching of Jesus. He cut out all the miracles. He cut out pretty much any mention of the supernatural. He cut out the resurrection, um, cut out the passages that show Jesus as divine. He just cut down to the teachings, the philosophy uh, of Jesus. And, uh, you know, rightly so, we, we many of us look at this and kind of uh, mock it. <laughs> what, what in the world? He's just cutting and choosing and picking out the parts uh, that he likes, the parts that he agrees with. And yet, uh, there, there are many ways in which we too, somewhat like Jefferson, have a tendency to pick and choose the parts of God that we like for ourselves. And we can look at different things about God in the Bible and say, I don't, maybe we're not quite so bold as to say, I'm going to cut that out and I'm not going to believe that. But we may not like to talk about it. We may be uncomfortable with that. And in this chapter in Genesis chapter 19 is, is one that we can be uncomfortable with at times. Uh, we can be uncomfortable with the idea of judgment. Uh, we can be uncomfortable with the, the destruction of these cities that God unleashes on Sodom and Gomorrah. We can be uncomfortable with the very description of this episode uh, in the cave with Lot and his daughters. It's just, it's just disturbing. Um, and so in this, what, what do we do when we come across these sections of the Bible that make us uncomfortable, that we might prefer to cut out or not think about as much or just kind of shove to the side. And the truth is, we don't, we don't get to pick and choose. Uh, we, this is God's word that he has given to us, every part of it. And so we have to look at it. We have to look at it and say, what is it that God is trying to show us here? And when we do that, when we look honestly at God's word, it is a wonderful thing. Because when we look closely here at Genesis chapter 19, what we see is that God is grace from beginning to end. Even though there is judgment here, even though there is destruction, even though there is wickedness, even though there is plenty to make us uncomfortable, still there is grace from beginning to end. And so we can look into these even challenging chapters like this and see God's grace and embrace his grace for ourselves and for others. And as we look into this, I point out three specific ways that we see God's grace here in Genesis chapter 19. First, we see God's grace in judgment. Second, we see God's grace in mercy. And third, we see God's grace in redemption. Grace in judgment, grace in mercy. And grace and redemption. First, grace and judgment is that the, the destruction of Sodom is judgment. And, and judgment is God's grace on the world. Sodom had to go. Sodom was an evil and wicked place. It's easy to look at God's destruction of these cities and think of it as, as a natural disaster, uh, as 
something bad that happened. But what's bad here is what the people of Sodom were doing. And the text makes it very, very clear that Sodom was a hopelessly wicked place. Uh, we see that in the fact that Abram, Abraham pleaded that God would spare the city for the sake of 10 righteous people to be found there. And there were not 10. God agreed to that. And yet, at, in the end, he brought out only four. Lot, his daughters, and his wife. And even then, you know, how righteous was Lot in this? It's somewhat, somewhat debatable even there. And so it says clearly in, um, in verse five, 4, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. What did, they, they came to abuse the strangers that had come into town. That, were, that Lot had brought in and showed hospitality to. They should have been fine. It Really, they, they, they were going to spend the night in the town square. It should have been okay. And Lot knew better than that. He said, that, that is not safe. And even in his house, the men came to attack and abuse them. It's just, it's a scene of wickedness. And so when God judges this city, he is having mercy on those who would be hurt and abused by the wicked men of Sodom. We, if there is no judgment in God, if there is no punishment for wrongdoing, it's sim there, then, then there, is, there is no grace. There is no heal. There is no protection. God's grace in judgment is a grace of protecting, of justice for victims. And we realize this not only in the example of Sodom, we realize this when we look throughout history, throughout history, there have been repeated examples of evil empires that have risen up to bring death and destruction on the world. And it is grace for God to bring those to an end. But we know that the end of those evil empires does not just come about. They must be destroyed. And that so it is the grace of God in judgment to end evil. And so we see this cycle throughout history. What do we do with this? When we see, what, what does this actually mean for us to embrace God's grace in judgment? It really means two things, uh, practically speaking. One is that we don't have to be overwhelmed by the presence of evil in this world. When we see evil in this world, yes, it hurts. It is painful. We mourn it. We lament it. And we know that God is dealing with it. We know that God will be just, and in his grace, he will bring judgment on evil. We may not always see it in the time that we expect, but we know that he will bring it in his time. All the evil empires that rise up, they all go away. Even the ones that seem like they last for a long time, they come to an end. All human evil empires will come to an end. And yet, God's church is still standing 2,000 years later. God's people are still going strong from the time of Abraham, thousands and thousands of years ago. We don't know exactly how long ago Abraham was, maybe 3,500 years, maybe longer, maybe 4,000 years. It's been a long time since Abraham was alive. And so God's people are still going, and yet the evil empires will fall because God shows grace in judgment. So that's one, we can, we can have patience in the sight of evil. We cannot lose heart 
And also we can trust God to bring vengeance. We don't have to go out and create the vengeance ourselves. The Bible is clear that by and large, vengeance belongs to the Lord. And we wait patiently for him to bring justice and judgment in this world. We don't have to go out and make it happen ourselves. We can trust in him and his timing. So here God shows grace in judgment upon evil. But he also shows grace in mercy. In mercy in that he rescued Lot. It says it specifically. Uh, the Lord being, uh, this is in verse 16. The Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. He came into it and, and he waited patiently. The men, Verse 12, the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Bring them out of this place. We're about to destroy this place because the outcry is against the Lord. And Lot kind of goes out and says to his sons-in-law, like, okay, let's go. But, but nothing seems to happen. In verse 15, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, come on, come on, let's go. Finally, they grabbed him. Verse 16, he lingered. The men seized him and grabbed them by the hand and brought them outside the city. And then said, run, go, run away. God is merciful to Lot. He says it again, even, and then uh, he says, I can't get that far. How about I stop here at this town of Zoar? The angels say, okay, we'll let you stop there. Verse 29, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. This is God's grace in mercy, that he does not destroy Lot. Did Lot deserve to be rescued? Not obviously. I mean, it Lot Lot was a, a decent guy. Uh, he was, I mean, this, um, you know, he did show hospitality. He made them a feast. He sought to protect them, though he tried to give away his daughters in the process. That was not, not real good on Lot. Second Peter does say, that Lot was a righteous man and was uh, repulsed by the wickedness of Sodom in which he had lived. But still, we know from before, earlier in Genesis, that when Abraham gave Lot the choice, Lot took the better land. He went and chose to live in this place because the land was richer. It was more fertile, even though he knew that Sodom was a wicked place. And he stayed there and remained part of it. And yet God showed mercy to him. He came down and got him. Physically, the angels went into the city of Sodom, grabbed Lot by the hand, and dragged him out. And this, I mean, this is the this is God's grace for us too, because while we would like uh, to be to think of ourselves more highly, so often we find ourselves a lot like Lot. We saw back in Genesis chapter fourteen that we were like Lot, needing to be rescued, and here a lot of times we're like Lot in Sodom. We're bothered by it. We don't fully want to participate in it. We're trying to do the right thing, but we're kind of, we're, we're kind of lingering too. We're not always, we don't always have it right. We make mistakes. And this is God's grace and mercy that for his people, if we put our faith in him, he comes and rescues us. He comes and grabs us by his hand. What these angels did for Lot, that is also what Jesus does for us. This is Jesus coming to earth. Jesus came to earth. Why? To grab us by the hand. He didn't just stand far off decreeing, hey, work yourself up here. Hey, listen to my words and run away and flee. Remember John the Baptist came preaching repentance? Say, hey, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. But God didn't stop there. 
He didn't stop with that message. Jesus himself came, just like these angels came to Lot, to grab us by the hand, to say, come, come out of this place. I'm going to rescue you. It's God's grace and mercy. His grace and mercy for Lot, his grace and mercy for us. So what does that mean for us? Grab hold of his hand. Let him carry you out of the city. If you are listening to this right now, you have not embraced Jesus' forgiveness for yourself. If you're trying to work out your own salvation, if you are trying to work for the forgiveness of your sins, just fall on God's mercy. Say, Jesus, I need you to grab me. Carry me out of the city. I'm coming with you. I need you to forgive me. I'm caught up in sin that I cannot get away from. I need your forgiveness and I accept your forgiveness for me. Will you forgive my sins? I want to go with you. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. And then once we've received that grace and mercy for ourselves, we extend that to other people. There's a, there's a, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have to join the mob. When somebody falls down and makes a mistake, we can call it out. We can name sin as sin. We can name evil as evil, but we don't have to destroy them. We don't have to send them away with no hope. Instead, we can offer grace and mercy, the same grace and mercy we have received. We can offer and extend that to others. So there's grace and judgment. There's grace and mercy. And finally, there's grace and redemption. What's the deal with this thing at the end with Lot and his daughters? Like, why is this here? Why did, why did this have to be recorded about Lot and his daughters and the incest in the cave? Well, so one, one relevance to the first reader, the first hearers and readers of Genesis were the people of Israel, having left Egypt, wandering in the wilderness, headed toward the promised land. And who was opposing them along the way? The people of Moab and the people of Ammon. So when they see this, they're like, oh, that's where these people come from. The people of Moab and the people of Ammon did not treat the Israelites well. In fact, they treated them so poorly. There's a story recorded in the book of Numbers. The people of Moab, the king of Moab actually got the prophet Balaam to come and pronounce a curse on the Israelites. Whole strange thing with Balaam and his donkey that talks to him and they hire Balaam to pronounce a curse, and he actually pronounces a blessing. It's a little bit, it's one of those kind of weird stories. But but that leads, the, the, the clear point of it is the people of Moab were opposed to Israel. And so for them, they kind of see this, and they're like, oh, you know, that's where they came from. Okay, they kind of, all right, I see where I see where these people are coming from. So much so, these people, that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, Moses, through God, says that Moabites are not allowed in the assembly. Moabites and, and Ammonites cannot come into the assembly of the Lord. They are not welcome because they opposed God's people. They opposed the people of Israel. And yet, there is grace here too. For while this gives the origin of the people of Moab, who would oppose God, who would oppose God's people wandering through the wilderness, who would be excluded from the assembly of the Lord. We find something very interesting later on. Once Israel has come into the promised land and they've been established there for a little while, in the book of Ruth, an Israelite man goes to the land of Moab and he's, his, this is, uh, and, and, his, and his, his sons marry women of Moab 
one named Ruth. And then the man dies and his son dies and his, his wife, Naomi, she returns to Israel and Ruth goes with her. This is the story of the book of Ruth. Ruth comes back to the people, Ruth the Moabitess. The Moabite woman comes back to Israel and she is accepted. She comes and gleans in the field of Boaz where he treats her well and he receives her. He lets her glean in the fields. He lets her provide for herself and Naomi. And ultimately Boaz, who is a, a, akin to, to Naomi, marries Ruth and brings her in to the people of Israel. And then Ruth was the mother of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. And so Ruth became the great grandmother, Ruth of the people of Moab, became the great grandmother of King David, the great king of Israel. And then in, in Matthew chapter one, as Matthew is giving the genealogy of Jesus, showing that Jesus is descended, he is the promised seed, the descendant of Abraham, the one who will bring blessing to the nations, the descendant of King David. He specifically mentions a few women in that genealogy as it primarily goes from father to son, but he specifically mentions Ruth. Obed, the, uh, Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Ruth the Moabite is in the genealogy of Jesus. And this is the, the grace in redemption. That here we see the origin of the Moabites. It was not a pleasant beginning. They opposed God's people as they sojourned through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. But God brought redemption in that. And he used a woman from the tribe, from the people of Moab to be part of the lineage of Jesus. His grace from beginning to end. That only God can bring these stories together. Only God can weave these threads. That he can show grace and mercy to all. And he can work out this. So when you're not sure how things are working out in your life, when you're not sure which way it's going, know that God is grace from beginning to end. And you can embrace every piece of his grace that you may rest and trust in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that we can reflect on it together, even uh, as, as it is recorded at one time and listened to it another. Pray that for all who are listening, uh, that they may be encouraged and strengthened by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.